0: Everyone, welcome back to the Caller Anti podcast. We are here joined by a special guest. Her name is Akisha Absalon Winchester. Akisha is a registered social worker, auntie, dog mom, and living her best life, including hashtag van life. Akisha is from Flying Post First Nation, currently living in Kitchener, Waterloo. She's also a yoga teacher and has a drum making business/slash side hustle. So welcome, Akisha.
2: I'm so So happy to be here and so honored to be welcomed into this space.
0: Yeah. So is there anything else we miss, like introductions of yourself? Um, You can maybe, when did you get your yoga teacher license? That's also something that interests me.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So um, I can start by just sort of like sharing, you know, also where I'm in the language, I don't know if that, like, that aligns, but, oh, of um, yeah, so, um, Bojo, Gijigo Kwe, in Dishnikats, and Ndodem, mm-hmm. Ojibwe, Anishinaabe Kwe, and now, uh, Flying Post, of course, in Dijiba, and I live here in Kitchener, Waterloo, and um, so I'm, so my family's from Flying Post, uh, my fair name is Gijigo Kwe, which means Sky Woman, and I'm Martin Clan, um, uh, but I also carry settler ancestry, so I, Try to be really mindful of walking in those two worlds um and yeah i'm a counselor with nojamo one of the counselors of many amazing ones we have a such a um a grounded uh, awesome team of folks um and a yoga teacher and drum maker and the yoga teacher is a new uh, addition i guess um i just finished or am finishing. 500-hour um, teacher training. So I've been doing that over the last year, and I did a one-month intensive to um, learn how to teach, and it was really interactive. And so um, the intent is to then fold that into my practice and offer yoga to communities, um, bring it to uh, my First Nation, um, and have yoga be an accessible practice for healing.
1: That's awesome.
0: Quay, have you like have you tried yoga before?
1: Yeah. So I'm really into yoga. Um, at first when I tried yoga though, I was like, it wasn't. So being from an athletic background, I like to do things like quickly and go, go, go. And like yoga was the complete opposite. So when I first started it or to do it, I was like, I couldn't sit still. But then now that I've been doing it more, I really like hot yoga. And, um, cause it gets me like really warm and like, I'm sweating so I can, if I'm feeling like that kind of burn, I don't know why I can slow down, but I like the ability now that I have that I've grown with it to like slow down. Um, I can't do any like really great moves, but I love to see the difference and the change. Like if you're doing it for a month and like you can finally like do something or like uh, move your arm differently and stuff like that. Like I love that growth and then just like being able to pause and
2: stuff. Um, but what got you into it? Um, originally, it's because I, I was a competitive gymnast and for a long time. And so um, I got, unfortunately, I had to retire early, whatever that means. I had a, a back condition come up. So I had been diagnosed with scoliosis. So my spine, if folks don't know what scoliosis is, is where it bends, right? So mine's like an S. Um, So it was right through my spine. I had three curves and I needed to be put into a back brace or get the surgery where they stick a big rod down your spine to correct it. Um, So fortunately I was just on the cusp and I was able to do the back brace for a handful of years, but out of that meant that I needed to go to physio. I needed to figure out how to move my body in a way that would support my development and my bones and my muscles to stay strong, but also to stay limber. And so um, I find for my body when I don't do yoga, I really stiffen up um, and I find that I'm like for somebody, you know, if I want to be an active person, um, doing yoga complements what what I can and can't do if I'm not doing it. I, I really struggle. And so that's where it came out of. Um, and then it really turned into a practice of healing, a practice of supporting good mental health, um, a practice of supporting being my most best grounded self (laughs) and attempt to do that and so it kind of morphed into this like really nice addition into um my life mentally emotionally but also then physically and and spiritually too
0: Mm -hmm. I kind of like that like I've tried yoga a couple times um because right around the corner for me is a yoga studio so I was like this is perfect um but I don't think like I know we talked about even just, you know, starting counseling. Like, I feel like yoga, you you have to be really prepared for and in in like a certain mindset. And I just don't think I was because I, I think like Quay, like we do things like really quick that I wasn't Mm -hmm. like slowing myself down to enjoy what yoga can bring into your life. But um, this past like summer, I saw an osteopath for the first time. And I think it's making me want to start slowing down and find things that physically is more easier on my body because I was running for a bit. And she's like, you need to stop running. And, you know, like maybe in moderation, I can like slow down. But just from like her standpoint of like looking at like how unaligned my body was, like she's like running at this time, like isn't going to help you. So I'm definitely want to look into like yoga more. Um, So that's like really interesting that you do. And so you do have like that sports background. I know that was one of the questions we were going to ask later about
2: gymnastics. Was there anything else you did growing up? Yeah, yeah, Um, we, I grew up with a very, or in a very outdoorsy family. Um, And so we're always doing lots of hiking and biking and whatever whatever was around skiing. I was always doing track. I was always, um, on a soccer team. So anything like, I feel like I was just a wild child, like anything where I could just like run out all my energy, (laughs) use my body. And I am very much still that way. So I totally hear you when you talk about yoga and that feeling like that fast paced feeling. And you think about our society, um, and then also our nervous system, like if our nervous system hasn't, had the opportunity to ground and calm and slow down um, for us to self-regulate dipping into yoga can be really challenging like that's a huge challenge right to Mm -hmm. begin to self-regulate to begin to ask the body to quiet the mind calm so when your wheels are spinning and your nervous system is um going 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 that's such a huge challenge so I always would sit in like, or lay down in Shavasta when you're just like supposed to be resting, um, which is such an important posture. But uh, I'd just be like thinking of like all these things. I'd be like, when is this gonna be over? How many minutes has it been? <laughs> and exactly. it took such practice to like get grounded. Totally. Mm-hmm.
1: Same thing that I like, I don't know if this is normal, but like I like about it is the stretch, but also I find that in certain positions, my body pops into place like I do my I don't know it's not like your own physio but like I was doing like an eagle something and then we did it a couple times and then all of a sudden my like shoulder popped and I could like reach up and I was like I don't know if that was normal but (laughs) I'm really glad that like now I have this bigger range of motion (laughs) and sometimes when I'm doing things on the ground too like pigeon my hip will pop in and I'm like well I don't know if I just broke myself but I'm feeling better. <laughs> Your arm
2: dislocates and you're just like, "Look how hard I."
1: Can. <laughs> so I like like that part of but where I feel like I'm fixed kind of.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I can see that. Yeah. yeah. It's so fascinating. It's so fascinating to see the body like move and be able to do things differently like after doing yoga for a month for example you know, noticing how the body has changed or what it, like in the mornings, if I practice early mornings, I have absolutely no balance. It doesn't matter where I'm at in my yoga journey. It doesn't matter if I'm like, you know, feeling like I'm killing it every day or really struggling with my practice. Um, In the mornings, I just have no balance. Like all of my postures are very slow. I'm very supportive. Like I really support my body. Mm
1: -hmm. Oh, I never would have thought of that. I just thought like we're all just stiff in the morning because, but like, even when you've been practicing for so long.
2: Yeah.
0: I think it's crazy just like how the smallest movements can have such a big impact. Like when I was, I've only saw the osteopath who lives on my street, maybe like three or four times. And the first day, like she, she's like just moving my body, not in ways that it's not supposed to move. And I felt like I ran a marathon after. And she's like, that's all your blood rushing to areas that were weak. And I'm like, this is wild. Like, it was so crazy. Um, so, yeah, that's really interesting about the yoga. And I know we kind of jumped ahead of um, our questions. But I wanted to ask, like, go back um, about, like, where you grew up. Like, did you grow up near, in your First Nation and near Nipigan? So out. I'll let you dive into that.
2: Yeah, so I grew up a little bit there. I didn't grow up on my First Nation um, and that is because my First Nation is um, in an area of land that isn't really usable. Um, there are not like not too many folks live there. Um, they live mostly around the First Nation and so um, and my grandmother went to uh, a residential school, uh, St. Um, John Anglican Residential School in Chapel. And so um, with a lot of displacement, not um, a community that is centered in one location or on a reserve. Um, and the fragmentation that happens, we didn't, we didn't live on our reserve. And so um, we lived So I grew up mostly in Perry Sound which is south of Sudbury. Um, I moved and lived in Saskatchewan in like a valley area um, just outside of Regina. Um, We lived in British Columbia and Victoria on the island for a little bit Um, and then I came back to KW area after Saskatchewan and have been living here, went to post-secondary here um, and the reasons for all of those moves I would contribute it to um, in part having parents that are academics and kind of up for the adventure of going somewhere else which I love because I've definitely um, taken on that quality Uh, but also divorce and family separation what that's meant for a family and so um, I feel lucky to have lived in all these different places because I've there's so much that each of those places offer. Like when you think about the vastness of our country, each of those are so different, but now I'm in KW and we'll see what's next.
0: That's really cool. You, you pretty much like hit everywhere, but out East. So maybe that's your like next move.
1: (laughs) Where are you going to go next? Um, I had a question about your, your moves when you answered them, but like what they're rooted from. How, do, how when you moved, like can you share with us how you moved each time, but how you remain
2: connected to your culture and like what that looked like for you in each different city? Yeah, so it's interesting when you move somewhere else um, that isn't your territory and you're a guest, right? And so the practices, so connecting, even though there's indigenous folks there, um, like in British Columbia, for example, even though there's folks who are Indigenous who have a strong sense of culture, you're still a guest in their territory and um, while it can feel like family and while it can feel uh, very similar, there's still those differences of like being um versus Coast Salish, or, you know, Kitsan or communities that that you're living in that you are the visitor and so um, the reason we actually moved back from BC that time we had moved for an academic position with one of my parents um, and we moved back because uh, my parents was feeling really disconnected from culture and not being in Anishinaabe territory and so the move back from BC was to Perry Sound where we rooted ourselves for um, most of my childhood and then following a divorce, landed in Saskatchewan, after Saskatchewan came back to KW. (laughs) So we have family, like my brother's in BC, my dad's in Saskatoon, Um, my sister and I are here, which is nice, my mom's here. So we're all kind of a little bit of everywhere, which is like, you know, sad in the sense that I miss them very much. But on the other hand, going to BC to visit my brother and camp in the mountains with him, is I wouldn't trade it for the world.
0: Wow. That's really special. And I mm-hmm. totally like just knowing kind of like your life so far that you are like such a traveler. Like it's, it's nice that, you know, you have that quality that you're able to go visit your, your family. So that's really nice. So, um, so you grew up in Perry Sound for most of your childhood, you said, um, and then you moved to KW and then you went to Post secondary. So, what led you to pursue post secondary and what programs, like, what, what was kind of like your path to post secondary?
2: Yeah. So, um, when we moved back to KW, we moved when I was going into grade 11. Um, and after lots of moves and loss uh, and some trauma, I felt I mean, some would call it dropping out. I felt personally like I was making an informed decision to just put school on hold. <laughs> so I dropped out of high school and was really trying to figure it out. Like, who is Akisha? Um, what were some things that I needed to confront? Um, and trying to just get back on my feet after moving back and making our way back here. And after experiencing um, lots of grief and loss. And so that time to just be was really important. I wasn't, uh, I think my parents supported me by just knowing that um, I would take that time, that I needed that time, and they gave me that time, which was really special. I think there's always this like pressure to get through school and get things done. Um, But eventually, I ended up still not having a high school. Um, I ended up learning from this man named Ken Tabadong, who is from Wysok First Nation. Um, and he's now passed on to the spirit world, but he was so profound. Um, and while I was in that moment of limbo and struggling, he shared with me the teachings of the drum and he showed me how to make my first drum, uh, how to connect with my drum, how to connect with those teachings. And those teachings are really rooted in healing. And so that's where I kind of mark my own healing journey and recovering from trauma. And so um, while I was, I started picking that bundle up and when he passed, he left me some of his tools. And so I took that and I had been working with an elder um, in a youth correctional facility, um, a secure, maximum security youth correctional facility. And I had brought in or had been invited to do drum making. Um, And so initially we got the wrong materials and it didn't work out. So we just spent the day in conversation in community. So we came back the next time and I ended up working with these young men um, who were serving their sentence there and who maybe were waiting uh, for their sentence to be finished where they would go back into the community or they were waiting to go to um, an adult penitentiary. And so those folks were my greatest first teachers. And they're the reason really that I thought I need to go back to high school, I need to do something with this gift so that I can support my community, I can support our people, I can um, be, you know, it felt like I wanted to be a helper. And so I went back to high school and finished my high school, um, applied to university, and then got in. And in high school, part of the challenge was that um, having folks who support you, especially as an Indigenous, like young person, um, who might be a little bit lost at the time, and so my my thinking too was like, with the strength of these young men in our circle, you know, I have my survivor, I have my ancestors and my the survivor of my grandmother, I have their strength and brilliance in my blood and bones, and so I didn't. Um, my thinking was like, I'll show you, like I'm gonna finish. I'm not gonna be um, just a high school at a dropout (laughs) and that's I'm proud of that part of my story it's a part of my story and it's it's part of the biggest reason of why I am where I am today
0: I think that's really inspiring and it's why we ask a lot of individuals their their journey to post-secondary because it's all different and you know it's not just I graduated high school I knew what I was going to do it's like step 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 like it's always so many you know, curves and bumps in the road that leads you to what you're doing now. Um, I think that's really cool that you, so they were Indigenous men that you were working with in the the
2: jail system? Yeah, yeah, in the correction system. So they were, yeah, they were indigenous young men. We would gather in circle. Um, The drum workshop ended up turning into me kind of working with this elder who was a social worker um, and coming in to bring in, um, you know, when I was growing up, my mom was really heavily, um, was a huge influence in terms of our understanding of who we are as Anishinaabe people. an Anishinaabe family, she's very, um, she really wanted us to be proud of who we are. Uh, My grandmother attended residential school, like I said, and so um, she was really kind of rooted in reclaiming and resisting anything that wasn't going to be um, anything but we are proud of who we are, and we are not checking ourselves at the door anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. And we're in our culture and so growing up in that was so profound, so influential in terms of like the work that I would do moving forward. So, we growing up right away, um, ha- always had ceremony, always um, had medicines, uh, always made sure to um, speak our language at home and learn our language. I'm not fluent, but mm-hmm. um, and I can't speak the language, uh, but I can you know, she instilled in us this sense of pride. Um, and, and she wanted us to know who we are, she didn't want us to ever question who we were. Mm-hmm. And so um, that was huge in terms of, like, being in this circle is that bringing in that sense of culture, and what happened to our people that, you know, when you think of intergenerational trauma, why are some of us in the place that we're in? Or why did some of us experience trauma? And the real impact of that, what that really looks like. And so, um, talking to some of these guys is really profound, um, in terms of understanding our stories, understanding and, and re-weaving, re-narrating our stories so that they can begin to make some sense. Um, and then reclaiming like that, their sense of pride as Indigenous young men.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's really important that, um, your parent, your mother, especially did instill that, um, that it sounds like, um, because like as a mother now, like I think that's what I try to do with Nico. Like right now he is so proud of, he went to um, an indigenous preschool where he learned so much about the culture. Um, I'm kind of on my journey of learning about it because I didn't grow up, I didn't grow up especially, I think, you may know what Thunder Bay is like, but it's not a very like a very, you know, proud city to be indigenous in. So I grew up thinking if I can pass as non-Indigenous and people think I'm not, I'm gonna like that's like the best case scenario. Um like why put a target on my back? So like that, and you know, like my family was the same too, like with how residential school went, my family was very Catholic. And um So I think like I'm in the position now where I am. So I do feel secure with who I am that I'm finally able to make my son feel secure about his background as well. Um, So that's really that's really special. So you finished your high school. Did you go did you
2: go back to high school? Did you do it through your through a GED? Um, I went through adult learning, I think it's called like an adult learning education center, Mm -hmm. Um, just where you could take, and it was nice because you could take um, three courses within seven weeks and then have three credits. And they had all the same courses, if not more, that I could um, take. They had like a culinary school and a PSW school. So everyone was just like doing their own thing there. And so I didn't feel like I was, you know, I probably wouldn't have gone back to a high school. It just... Um being in that space wouldn't have been the right fit for me, I think, at the time. So this was good. I could kind of just go in, do my thing and leave and get my credits.
0: Yeah, totally.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I have a question about like jumping um around, like were when you were when you're moving to Saskatchewan and BC, like were you school age? Like were you going into so how is that as like a young child's like, you know, I feel like you establish friends and then you have to leave. And then I don't know if you ever stayed in touch with them because you were so young, but how, how did that impact you as a child? Good question. Uh,
2: So I, for a while, I mean, and this is a piece that like, I've had to kind of understand and work to understand a little bit. Uh, Because when you're a kid, I mean, your brain is developing and there's so many things going on and leaving your best friends is really hard. Leaving your family and home is hard. Um, Especially when you, you're in the mix of a divorce or anything like that, you Mm -hmm. just kind of carry on top of the cake. But um, so we, we, so I was born in Kitchener actually. And then we moved to BC where my brother was born. So I was young enough that I didn't really know too much. And then we stayed there until I was five. So I was in um, preschool. And then when we moved to Perry Sound, I started kindergarten and and went all the way to grade six. Mm -hmm. So in grade six, we moved to Saskatchewan where I did grade seven, eight, nine, 10. And then back to KW where I did 11, dropped out adult education for 12. Mm -hmm. Um, And so moving at those points is moving in any sense, even as an adult, when you have your own, um, you know, control, so to speak of your space and body and, um, where you live is hard. And Mm -hmm. so when you're a kid and you're moving, just as your friends are going into middle school or into, um, grade seven and eight is really challenging, um, or coming to a high school in the middle of a. The four years is really hard as well. I think that I became pretty adaptable. Yeah, I usually go with the flow. Um, I can get along with most people. That I don't, I don't mind just going and and making up making friends. Yeah. Um, I think the piece that is hard is that is the things that you leave behind, and there's grief that comes with that. Um, and if you leave things in a way that um or you're leaving because of a hardship or a trauma mm-hmm. or a loss that you know that's hard to move through um so so those are the things that I think like um while there are hard moments absolutely in moving and in and especially in moving at school age um I also got to see the country I also have aunties and uncles who I know love me and I always have a place to stay when we were doing van life when driving across the country we would like pop into you know aunties and uncles and and knowing that you have that cross-country family that cross-country love Mm -hmm. I appreciate that so much more now Mm -hmm. than ever before and I and I know the meaning of that now um I think You know, when you talk about what the realities of living in Thunder Bay as an Indigenous person, especially an Indigenous woman, um, you know, I remember that similar reality living in Saskatchewan and uh, living Mm -hmm. in small town in the prairies, people came to school on their snow machines, (laughs) Saskatchewan, (laughs) and so, or their cowboy boots. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And really being thankful at that time, and I almost am like really ashamed to admit that, you know, passing as um, a white person with light skin um, also saves me, right? And in those moments that, um, you know, my brother who um, is visibly Indigenous, who, who doesn't pass, uh, doesn't have that choice, right? And that's that's a huge, when we think about passing or um, being white-coated or yeah mm. and I think
0: just like what you said about moving to all those places it has all those like you're so grateful for all those connections cross-country that you have now and I just think like what if you stayed in Saskatchewan like the rest of your life like who would you be now like I'm thinking if I stayed in Thunder Bay my whole life who would I be like I moved to Toronto and all of a sudden just the different culture of people there is I'm so proud to be indigenous and I'm just you know I think it's so grateful to look at those moves the way that you do and you've become adaptable Um, you did mention your van life so I'm so excited to ask you more about that so um thanks for talking about your journey to post-secondary um and then what did you you take in post-secondary to become the social worker that you are now
2: so I did my BA, I just did a bachelor of arts and social development studies. And then I went on to do a bachelor of social work. And then I did a master's of social work in the indigenous field of study at Laurier.
0: Nice. Yeah. And then d- during that time, like when you first started, did you, knew you know you wanted to be a social worker and work with indigenous people because of your experience with those um, indigenous men in the correctional service?
2: were, they were definitely my first greatest teachers and um, support and pointing me in the right direction. And then, and then I think other, I made other links in my brain along my academic journey, I was learning about myself, I was learning about my family, I was learning about um, some of the realities for our family, like many other Indigenous families. Um, I was learning about, you know, walking in these two worlds of being you know, half, um, having settler ancestry in me, but also Anishinaabe, uh, culture in me. And so, um, and I was doing like lots of healing work while I was taking my, uh, schooling. So it was really, um, I think a lot of layers that brought me to the place that I'm at and lots of really profound teachers. I can't thank my teachers enough for, um, and not just my instructors, but like um, the people that I get to work with, the people that I get to support, supervisors that I've had um, who really shape the lens that I see things through and um, the way in which I understand or am informed in the work that I do. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I think, you know, while that was kind of a really pivotal moment, there were then lots of other pieces that... Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. totally. Um, so what was the most scariest thing you've
2: done and was it worth it I had to think about this question and this is interesting like we talk about you know healing and wellness and um you know living our best lives and I think about like I've done lots of things I've swam with sharks and skydived and you know drove my van across the country and eloped and all these things but the hardest or scariest thing I've done was my own work um, at the end of the day. And I think, you know, uh, like drawing hard lines, putting boundaries in my life, my healing work, learning to trust, letting go of things that do not serve me and really, you know, going for it. Those are the scary things. Um, the rest is just a whole lot of fun, (laughs) right? Even when it's scary. And even when it means baby steps, you know, um, but not not doing it not leaning into that work um, is even scarier the outcome is so rewarding when we can feel really grounded and it's not to say that you know I don't sit on the couch with some really hard to have feelings in my sweatpants and some solid McDonald's.
0: <laughs> Sometimes you just need to like let the emotions out like I'm like, I'm going to have a sad evening. I'm turning on the notebook. I'm going to cry like my little heart out. And it's like, I just know I need that. Like, it's yeah. just something you just need to let go. Um, yeah. I kind of like zoned in when you said you swam with sharks because I'm thinking of this one video I've seen of like the person goes in a cage and then the cage gets dropped down into like,
2: did you do that? Uh, yeah. Yeah we did it in hawaii very cool we're actually there for the healing our spirit worldwide conference um, which was phenomenal amazing and somebody at the conference was like we have two extra spots to swim with sharks do you and your brother want to do it and we were like yes not even yes we're going <laughs> so we went and we we're on the boat and like you see the fins and i was like oh my god this is like jaws like i'm just seeing the fins circle and my brother and I, oh my goodness, I felt so sick and we're like, I'm like, it's mental game. It's all the mental game. He's just like, no, this is John. <laughs> there are sharks circling us. Like, no, 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 it's mostly mental. <laughs> oh my, I
0: totally didn't think you were gonna say you did that. I thought you're gonna be like, no, that's just like some video all the way in Australia or something where they do that, but you did it. I was just thinking you're in like a small pool with friendly sharks that do it all the time, but <laughs>
2: It was so wild. It was so much fun. And the guy was like, don't worry, there's lots of misconceptions. They're really just like puppies. Like they, they're they just curious about you. So I was like, okay, see, they're just like puppies. It's totally fine. It's all a mental game. <laughs> <laughs> How does it attract the sharks though? Oh my gosh. They throw chum, which is like the cut up, you know, bloody oh. old fish parts that, um, into the water. So the sharks then like crowd and grab it and then they'll like swim around the boat but the once they hear so who where we went he was saying that once they hear the propeller they know like oh we might be getting snacks or chum and so we'll go so once they heard our propeller they automatically came and when we're in the cage there was a barracuda that was like stalking our cage from beat like from I don't know it was far away and it would like disappear into the blackness of the ocean and then come back and like you know as I'm saying this, I'm just like, wow, this sounds so like, you know, scary, but also very kind of mesmerizing at the same time. (laughs) But this is my brain. I'm just like, what's next? Yeah. So were they like puppies
0: or were they like trying to like get at the, at the thing you're in the cage?
2: I would say they're like puppies. Like they were curious. They like booped the cage with their noses, which like they're big and strong. So like a boop, like you know, moves the cage a little bit, but they were pretty. Um, I feel like I feel like they were harmless. Go, so a shark!
0: <laughs> oh my god! Uh, it like kind of reminds me of our dog uh, Frank. He's a pit bull, and he it kind of reminds us of a shark. Like even just like his coloring. Um, if like the coloring had like if it was like a spotted shark which I don't even know if they're those like are real but the way he like moves too, like if when he's out for walks he kind of like moves like that and we're like and he's scary looking like a shark but he's super friendly and nice that people are probably like ah but then we're like those people that are like no he's friendly he's nice don't worry when people are like he's a shark he's scary but he's totally (laughs) fine so um you also have a dog too, right?
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Mia, Dog mom. Yeah. Yeah. So how long
2: have you had your dog for? Six years. So she's turning six in February and she's a border collie, um, German shepherd, Australian shepherd, mixture of some sort and, and probably other things, but she just looks like a coyote and a fox mixed and she's super cool. She's a cool dog. (laughs) Oh, nice. So she goes on all your adventures with you? She comes on all the adventures. She comes in the van. Uh, She was there for our elopement. She's the only one that knew about it. It was a full on secret for our family and friends. Um, She's the only one that knew. So yeah, she comes on everything. She, she's a good adventure dog. Like she'll, when we go rock climbing um, and are like scaling like the side of a mountain she's with us (laughs) we've like lowered her in a harness before through like a crack in a um I don't know like the earth to get down to a crag or a climbing spot and she's just like game for all of it it's wild she can climb trees like she's she's a cool dog yeah that's super awesome so
0: yeah. um, you mentioned van life and I think I brought this up to Quay before when I was talking about you that you've done this. So um, like start from the beginning. Like I know van life has kind of taken over like on social media and a lot of people are transforming old vans or new vans like into living spaces. So what kind of got you guys the idea to do that? And how was that like that journey to completing it?
2: Yeah, so we, three years ago, so we, like, I've traveled quite a bit, and um, Jeff has done some, my husband, and then we've done lots together, and we ended up in Iceland three years ago, and we did van life in Iceland. We just took a van, we made no plans, we just rented this van, and we drove ourselves around the island, and it was, like, the most amazing way to see a place, um, and to meet folks, and so we thought like that, like formulated our dream to have our own van one day and be able to travel that way. Um, and so in, during the pandemic, when things felt like we weren't gonna travel again and you know, everyone was doing projects and things like that, our project ended up being converting a van. And so we were looking at vans um, and We found this van, bought it, brought it home, converted it for a few months, looked at like Instagram van life, culture and community was really, really helpful. Some of the influencers were really helpful because they like will show you different plans, different ideas. You can see tours of vans. Like it's super informative. So we just studied. There's lots of groups where you can say like, what's the best fridge to get right now? What solar system should I get? So we like did we connected with folks and had lots of help through the online van community to um, make our van work for us. And um, on July 1st, we took off in our orange shirts and started driving. <laughs> and our destination was Tofino. Um, and a week earlier, we had we've been engaged for three years, and so we thought. Um, we're probably not gonna have a big celebration where, where, when things are the way they are right now. And you know, having family that lives all over the country, asking them to fly is a big ask uh, during this time in our, in our world. And so we figured, I was like, what if we eloped? And Jeff immediately was like, yes, let's do that. <laughs> That's a good plan. And so we like quickly hustled within a week. I was like, okay, my friend, I'll just wear that bridesmaid dress. I'm sure she'll be cool with it. <laughs> we like got rings like we had a half hour appointment I was like yep that one like we put no thought into it we had somebody in Tofino help us um so I highly recommend Elope Tofino because they were um, Emily there was amazing at like helping us figure out she sent us a checklist we spent 10 minutes on the couch checking off like what kind of cake flowers hair and makeup we wanted and then that was it that was all the planning we did and we got wow. Jeff to
0: oh my god
2: that's yeah. amazing.
0: Like, I feel like I'm totally the, like, the same like that. Like we had a traditional wedding with like guests and all that, but I had a checklist and I'm not the type to, you know, to like plan these big events leading up to a wedding. I was just like dress check rings check. Oh food. Yeah. We ordered that check. So I would totally like do the, if I had to do it again, which I would do like renew vows and things like that. I would love to do something like that. That's and that seems so fitting for like who you are. Like it seems like, you know, spur it seemed like spur of the moment, but I mean you did have what a week to week to plan, but you've been thinking about it for three years. So I mean, I don't want to like say it was like a complete spur of the moment. Um, but that's super cool about van life. I remember when I heard you you did that, I I looked it up. Um because like, I've been really wanting to get like an RV just because of the trip to Thunder Bay, it would give us like a place to stay in on our drive up. And then, um, also a place to stay while we're up there and we can kind of like bounce around wherever. And I'm like, the, the destinations seem endless. I'm like, I love all the possibilities it can bring, but then I'm like, wait, we get an RV, then we're going to need a truck or something to like pull it. So I'm like, this seems like a little bit out of it. So then I was looking into van life, but a lot of people like they use their vans as like their main yeah. like yeah. residents, right? Like they, like that's what they do. So I, I do know that you try to get the
2: most out of the van as you yeah. can, right? Yeah. And the van is our second car. So instead of having two, like, you know, many vehicles, um we just have the van and our car that we share so it works that way too which is nice and then because I um work remotely I like to go to different places in the van with Mia the dog and and it gives me that freedom too where I don't feel um my little adventurous spirit can can fly around still
0: (laughs) yeah that's so fun um well thanks for sharing that um So it's good to know that there's a lot of resources online for van life. Um, I found them fairly easily. Um, So as we're kind of nearing the end of our episode, uh, I have just like two more questions. Um, I know we kind of, you know, like talked about like your yoga journey and how that kind of brings you full circle and, kind of completes like all these kind of aspects of your life so um, I don't know if you have any more to expand on but the question is what do you consider health at this point in your life
2: Mm, for me health feels like nourishing my body feeling good in my body feeling grounded so whatever I need or whatever my body is calling for to lean into that Um, and then again, knowing that on those days where I don't feel like doing any of those things or that I you know, I don't feel grounded when I didn't hit the gym, when I am sitting on my couch with my comfort food and my sweatpants, having the hard feelings, that it's temporary um, and that I'm doing the work to move through those moments. And so for me, that feels like health. that it's holistic, that um, I always think of that movie inside out right? Sadness is important. Grief is important. Joy is important. Um, but that experiencing, and I always, you know, lean into that idea of indigenous joy. Like we are made up of so much more than, you know, um, what intergenerational trauma, or what the conversation is often centered on. And, uh, that, that is health, right? I, you know feeling connected to my family um feeling connected to community those those things make up health for me enjoying yeah. really good food
0: <laughs> that's that's really what I think about like I think um if I'm going through a hard time and I can't you know dedicate time to going for a run or going for a walks or hitting the gym I'm like can I just let me just put some good food in my body like Um, I remember one person telling me when I was going through a hard time I was like I'm you know waking up and feeling sad and I'm like why do I wake up and feel sad and she told me she's like you know you have to think that when you look outside this whole world was made for you and so that's you know like the trees the earth like everything's made for us and I just think back, back on like my own health journey of. You know, food played such an impact in me feeling a lot better, and so you know, of course, I still enjoy you know the unhealthy food sometimes, the comfort food, Um, but you know, like the food that comes from the earth, like is important. That whole food. So um, I think you totally um, hit that out of the park with just you know that that's where you're at with health in your life, and it can it relates to all of us too.
2: Yeah, it's so, not a perfect picture, but
0: it's, yeah. it's a work in progress. <laughs> exactly. So, Akisha, what is in the future for you and next steps?
2: Always adventure, always travel, maybe a family of my own, maybe a move one day, maybe a PhD. The dreams are endless. <laughs>
1: wow, a PhD. That would be so cool and so exciting. Um <laughs> where would your next like move? Like our, no, trip B.
2: Ooh, the next trip. I would love, like, I feel like my partner and I have been doing some cold traveling a lot other than our trip over the summer, but that's the summer. So I'm, I'm thinking somewhere hot. I would love to visit Australia or New Zealand, um, but I would also love to visit somewhere where there's some family and some aunties and friends that that's always just nice to go somewhere in Toronto uh, these yeah. two aunties <laughs> <laughs> I'll come over to Toronto
1: <laughs> right here I'll put my heat on high. <laughs> <laughs>
2: bring my sunglasses <laughs> we'll turn on all the lights <laughs> drive my van over there <laughs> um, yeah
0: I feel like that's like my goal if I'm like living in Canada is like I need to make it a goal that I go somewhere hot throughout these long winters. Like that's, that's mm-hmm. what I aspire to do and aspire to be.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And right now, Nojimo is a brand new baby. So I'm super excited about that. and Helping Nojimo grow, being a part of an amazing team. Um, of folks they're so great. Learn. And like, they're so easy to like, get,
1: get started with. Yes. Like, I went on there and I was like oh you like type in your info and then you're like you pick somebody and like your name's there and other names are there and then like you read what they're good at and you're it's like like shopping kind of (laughs) it's so it's so
0: easy I just want to say yeah because we talked about Nojmo in past episodes our listeners Mm -hmm. know that I like do see a counselor at Nojmo um but I remember like just how easy it was to like I calls the front desk lady or the receptionist and I was kind of like in crisis I'm like I don't know how to like like it's so easy like what Koi said but I think like mentally I just like mm-hmm. couldn't like manage a, a web page she's like yeah you, you click here then you click here and then I was like and then it was on like the list of like individuals and she's like what are you going through and I'm like this is what I'm going through and she's like okay, maybe you can like see this person. I'm like done, done, done. So I had, it was so easy. and It was like what yeah. I needed. So I like yeah. totally love Nojimo. Um, when did you start with Nojimo? And I feel like
2: Nojimo is so new. So it's so new. It's a baby still, um, a baby that's thriving, which is wonderful. Uh, I started, so Nojimo launched, um, in the late winter spring so uh, i forget the the exact date but february march time frame Uh, so i didn't start until may Um, i was initially going to start earlier but my family went through a loss and so i kind of pushed that back to take care of myself and then i started in may um, and then went on my van trip and started full time in august so i took a um so i took that on and we have when we i love hearing you know your experience Um, for both of you initially coming to the doors of Nojimo because it is a virtual clinic but we really Mm -hmm. want it to feel like a welcoming space that like when you come or talk to any of us um, that it feels like you're being held and that space is being held for you and so even our we call her our office auntie she's our administrative assistant (laughs) and uh, she's lovely But, you know, anytime somebody talks to her, she just greets them with such warmth and love. And we want folks to be able to come through that door, no matter where they're at, no matter what's on their plate and feel that, that kindness, um, because we deserve that from each other. We've been through too much shit to not have that (laughs) as a group of people, um, and to make it easy, like, we'll, you know, if, if you're not sure how you're going to pay, call us We'll help you figure it out. We'll right. look at what the options are. We'll build directly to non-insured health benefits for folks with status for First Nation and Inuit. And folks don't know, a lot of folks don't know that we have access, if you have your status card, to 22 sessions yes. of counseling, 22 hours.
1: And Nojimo is so great because initially when I first learned about that last year, I didn't know who could direct a bill. But then this amazing group popped up and they're like, we'll handle it for you because what, like Grace was saying, like when you're in distress, you can't navigate, you're just trying to, you're in survival mode. So like having a group yeah. that'll take those hands off of you and like help finding how to fund because help. Yeah. Like mental health, it's like pretty expensive. Like, it, like therapy and counseling appointments are pretty pricey, but yep. w- with this group, like they'll help you figure it out and they'll get your status card and like you, they'll break down the barriers for
2: you. And that's so, that's the, the best thing I think. Yeah, yeah. and our values are like, we're so rooted in, like you think of the seven grandfather teachings, right? Like we really wanna uphold those um, and, and, you know, create safe space for indigenous connection and healing. Identity is a huge consideration for us. Identity looks so diverse for our people um, and we're connected to community in such diverse ways. Uh, for our families, You know, maintaining confidentiality. Sometimes when you're living and working in your own community, it's hard to find, you know, that person (laughs) that it's going to stay confidential who you want to really unpack your shit with. (laughs) Because we all have it, we all have shit to unpack. Um, But I think at the end of the day, you know, feeling that, you know, you're braiding your story like sweetgrass with the support of compassionate, inclusive, and intersectional Indigenous clinicians uh, who you don't have to explain what residential school is you don't have to explain what yeah. scoops are. That's that's what we, you know, the place you want to land. And when you're like going through it, you don't want to be a teacher either. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. 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 When you're trying to unpack your stuff, you don't want to be be the incision. Show and tell <laughs> yeah. this is my trauma from this.
1: This is being displaced from the land. Right. Well <laughs> oh, for the listeners, I was like holding up an imagine, imaginary item, like we're at show
2: and tell. <laughs> <laughs> My flip chart of, um, here's another diagram.
1: <laughs> of the heart, mind, body, and spirit. Is <laughs> yeah, this
2: medicine wheel? No. know? <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Before we end it, um, I know a couple of people who are going, some of our listeners are going through it right now. And I wanted to ask, what are some of your initial tips if someone was going through grief? Mm.
2: I think call (laughs) Nojmo, we'll help you out. (laughs) Knowing that grief takes time, um, you know, there's a sacredness in grief and grief looks like so many different things. And it, as we peel our grief back like an onion, we can begin to unpack other layers of ourself, of our experiences that are really profound as well. So acknowledging we cannot eat an elephant whole, right? Piece by piece, just like a ball of yarn, our healing is very much, you know, if you just shook a ball of yarn, it wouldn't just, there's no quick fix, right? It wouldn't just come out nicely and you wouldn't end up with, you know, you'd end up with lots of knots and things. So nice and slowly, we can begin to unravel that ball yarn, so take time, take space. Um, I think lots of times, you know, in our society, we live in a society that can be death-phobic, that can be grief-phobic. Um, it's, it's fine when somebody's sad initially because we can understand it, but when that continues on past, you know, What our society might feel is those three days of bereavement, for example, Mm -hmm. it can be harder for folks to understand or know how to support. Um, and so my, you know, my biggest, I think, um, advice, if you will, is acknowledging that it takes time. Wrap yourself in folks who, um, are, are willing and able to show up and, and support you in that journey um calling no jamal having somebody to debrief and unpack with um but allowing also to feel the feelings feel the things they're there right uh, and we don't always understand them they don't always make sense and they don't always come up at the perfect moment sometimes we trip over our feelings in the middle of you know a class or in the middle of our job. And we're just like, oh my God, wrap it up brain. (laughs) But knowing that that's okay. And that that's a normal process of grief. We can be triggered um, in ways that we didn't expect. And our nervous system sends our brain signals that "Mm, this doesn't feel good, right? Or, ooh, we're not feeling good here. We're not feeling, um, know that we can take time, so. I know that wasn't really a list <laughs> developing your <laughs> toolkit, right. Of like, what feels good for you. Does it mean journaling? Does not mean getting outside? Does it mean calling somebody who's your go-to those sorts of things?
1: I think that's really important to say, though, is like understanding it's going to take time because like each, sometimes people like just want to fix it and they're like, okay, let me just be healed. Okay. the I experienced this loss. Like I want to be healed. And it's like, no, we got to like, yeah. Peel the onion, the onions, peel off the onions. Or like clean out the wound so it can like heal, right? Yeah. Takes time. Yeah. So
2: thank you for thank you for sharing that. It's interesting when we think about like our physical health. Like if I broke my arm, you would both be like, oh my god, Akeisha, go to the hospital. You need to see the doctor and get a cast and maybe some stitches and maybe probably some pain meds. And I would say, Yeah, you're definitely right. I'm gonna go do that. Maybe I'll even call an ambulance, right? Like that mm-hmm. wouldn't be too extra. And I would go and get a cast and I would wait six weeks and then I'd have stitches and maybe I'd have physio, like there'd be this process, but with our emotional and mental health, we struggle so so much to do that exact same thing. Mm -hmm. But because it's a heart, you know, a broken heart is still a hurt part of our body and we still need to give it that time. We still need to reach out um, and take those same steps, you know, cast up our body. How do we, how do we develop some armor or, um Rely on some of our coping strategies that are going to be healthy and and help us move through it. How can we lean into? If I had a broken arm, I'd totally be leaning in. I'd be like, yeah, 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 gotta fix it. It's broken, right? Right. My broken. We want to make sure we're doing that same thing. Can we lean into that and without judgment? You know, we can be our worst critics, and that vulnerability hangover can be real, real, real. <laughs>
0: Well, thanks so much, Akisha, for being on this episode. Um, Mm -hmm. I think we learned so much from you and I think our listeners will as well. Um, So I know definitely in um, the caption, we'll post about the Nojmo's website. Um, They do have an Instagram that everyone can follow as well. So we've been sharing those posts pretty regularly as well. So again, thank you so much, Akisha you for having
2: me I just am such a big fan of both of you and so so grateful to be here and and share about the great work that Nojmo is doing and some cool stories
0: <laughs> awesome well I'm going to end the recording and uh, we'll stay on after to chat quickly
1: so until next time everyone hello So your podcast Andes, know that life can be tough and we want to end our episode with promoting the hope for wellness talk line. The hope for wellness, um, helpline offers immediate help to all indigenous people across Canada. It is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week to offer counseling and crisis intervention. Life can be tough and we've all been there. So call the toll free helpline at 1-855-242-3310 or connect online to their chat at hopeforwellness.ca. And remember that your podcast and these love you.